Welcome back to the Snowmobile Podcast. This is your host, Gorda Fan. Today's show, we're going to have another one of the legends of snowmobile racing, Bob Eastman. Bob Eastman was uh, a Ferris factory racer in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and is now retired. And uh, today we have uh, co-hosting with me, Hal Armstrong. Hal is the uh, contributor for Snowgore Canada Magazine, Snowmobile Television, and uh, is uh, author of uh, some of the great uh, articles in Snowgore Magazine, uh, the uh, Time Machines articles, uh, where he writes about uh, um, antique snowmobiles, vintage racing, and these uh, legends of snowmobile racing. So I want to thank Hal for coming on and help me out. Uh, Hal has uh, talked to uh, Bob uh, several times and uh, knows him very well, so he's going to be a great help uh, with me today uh, uh, interviewing uh, Bob Eastman. So that said, a um, couple of reminders. You can uh, subscribe to Snowmobiling Podcast on iTunes, and uh, you just uh, search uh, Snowmobiling Podcast on iTunes, subscribe, and uh, these shows and other shows are, uh, are listed on the, uh, on the menu there, and you can download them all. There's some great interviews with uh, Tim Bender, the Carpet Brothers, uh, Jacques Villeneuve Sr. recently, um, and uh, uh, let's see, uh, Peter Van Doler, uh, Gene Glaze. There's some great stuff on there, and uh, they're all archived and, uh, and uh, for you to listen. So uh, also, if you uh, would like to contact me, you can contact me at uh, snowmobilingpodcast at gmail. Dot com, and uh, here we here we have uh, Hal Armstrong, um, and he's going to intro uh, Bob Eastman for us. Thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoy this show. Okay, on the line with me today is uh, Hal Armstrong. Hal, uh, talk to uh, us about uh, Bob Eastman. Okay, in the infancy of snowmobiling, there are names that are iconic to the sport: uh, J.A. Bombardier, Edgar Hattin, David Johnson. Uh, Roger Skyme with Arctic Cat, and the gentleman that we're talking today, Bob Eastman. Uh, Bob has been a part uh, of Polaris since the early 60s and became the face of the brand in the late 60s and 70s when the sport was at its peak on the racetrack and in sales. When the big race teams pulled into tracks like Peterborough, Eagle River, Beausager, Bangor, Maine, or West Yellowstone, the drivers were more important to see than the sleds themselves. It was Hollywood comes to the Northwood to see names like Duhamel, Trapp, Roger Jansen, Larry Coltum, the Villeneuve's, and the Polaris team led by Bob Eastman compete on the latest and greatest race sleds. The noise, the power, and the color of those days are not seen today, but their memory lives on for those of us that were lucky enough to attend one of those races back in the days. Think of going to an NHL or an NFL uh, uh Game today, I mean, it, it, was, it was like that. The crowds were huge, the color, the noise, it was, it was unbelievable. Bob Eastman is respected as a competitor, an innovator, and was always there to lend a helping hand even to competitors. He was also a longtime dedicated employee to Polaris and was instrumental in uh, making the company that Polaris is today. Thanks for joining us, Bob, today. Okay, okay. so we got on the line here uh, today, uh, Hal Armstrong. And uh, Bob Eastman, great to uh, have you guys, both you guys on today. So, Hal, um, carry on here. Uh, ask us Bob's questions here. Okay, Bob, you all set? Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're going to start out with um, uh, your career at Polaris. Uh, we wanted you to uh, uh, just tell us uh, how you got started working uh, uh, at Polaris uh, and um, what your first job was. Um, I started at Polaris in 1960, 
<coughs> 60 uh, as a welder. Okay. And and then uh, um, I I did welding for quite a few years, and I became uh, the welding teacher. So were you like on the assembly line, or or what were you doing then? No, I never was on the assembly line. Okay. But uh, I was I was a production welder. You were like fabricating old... parts to go on the sled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, w I was a welder in, in the old factory, and the old factory. Uh, you, do you know Roseau very good? Do you know where the Polaris used to be? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Where Roscoe Surplus was, or? No, no. Yeah. Uh, intersection of uh, of Highway uh, 89. Yeah. And and 11. Okay. At, at the intersection of, of uh, 89 and 11. So fairly close uh, to where the museum is today, or? Uh, yeah, yeah, fairly close to where the where the museum is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you started out. Uh, you were hired. Uh, so you must have been pretty young uh, fellow at that time. Well, let's see. I started there in '60, and I was born in '41. Uh, so I guess I was 19. Okay. And yeah. so um, you uh, were you? Did you grow up in Roseau, or where were you from originally? I was born in Cavalier, North Dakota. Okay. So how'd you end up in Roseau? Well, <clears throat> I went to uh, went to high school in Cavalier for two years. Okay. And then and then when I went in for my junior year at Cavalier, uh, uh, what 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 I had what I had to do is I I couldn't go to school until we got done with our harvest. I was, we were I was a farmer. Okay. And when I when I came to school late again for the third year, they gave me some so much uh, crap that I told them they could keep it and and. Uh, and I left. Okay. And and then I and then I find out that uh, about this uh, school over in Crookston that's only six months long instead of uh, nine months. Okay. And so I tra I transferred over to Crookston, uh, at, which was an ag school and probably still is. And uh, while I was at uh, at Crookston, my uh, my last year there, uh, my roommate in the dormitory happened to be a, a kid from Warroad. We got to be real good friends and went to each other's uh, home on a weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, by golly, uh, he had a, he had a girlfriend in Roseau, and and uh, and she her best friend was lived only a block away. Okay. So we double dated. And, and that's all that, uh, so you ended up staying in Roseau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so when uh, in 1960, was it was it called Polaris Industries or was it still Hattine, uh, Hoist, and Derrick? Or no, I was. I think it was Polaris Industries already by that time. So was were they just manufacturing snowmobiles at the time, or were they still doing some farm implement uh, equipment? Uh, snowmobiles was the main thing. Uh, but we were we were also still do, making a few uh, combine parts, uh, straw chopper that hooks on the back of the combine. Okay. Yeah. So um, by that time, was uh, Edgar Hattin still there, or was it just his brother and, and David Johnson running it? Uh, Edgar Hattin, uh, uh, Edgar Hattin was no longer at Polaris, and uh, very shortly uh, he was. Over in uh, Thief River, getting Articat started. Getting Articat going. Yeah, 
I, I don't recall exactly what year it was that he really got got going at CAT, but uh, okay. he was gone. Yeah. So, um, so you you started uh, building uh, uh, fabricating parts, and um, as the time evolved, I mean, snowmobiling started getting more popular. Um, just mm -hmm. kind of step us through. Um, what was happening, what life was like at Polaris in those early days. That's when the, uh, I guess, sleds like the, the first Colts came out, the Mustang, the, the little Andy, the Playmates. Um, what, was, what was it like to work in those days uh, on this, uh, um, in this sport? Well, <clears throat> in the, in the fir first few years that I was there, it was, uh, it was a very small uh, factory. It was crowded. And uh, I worked a lot of times uh, uh, weird hours, like uh, uh, start very early in the morning and then work as late as I, I could, as I could stay awake uh, in the towards the evening. Right. And because there really wasn't wasn't room to in the factory to to hire more uh, to hire more welders. Okay. Bob, how many employees uh, would there be in the, the factory at that time? Uh, my number was 28. Okay. You were the 28th employee hired. That's right. <clears throat> oh, okay. And, uh, so, I mean, at that point in time, you guys were creating these, uh, creating these uh, new machines, and um, did you get a lot of time, like, uh, out riding them, like, on the weekends and that, to... Uh, um, you know, for fun, or was it more just to kind of uh, troubleshoot them? Um, I, di I didn't. I didn't get a lot of riding done. It was mostly working. Okay. And uh, oh, let's see. What what am I thinking here? No. Um, I never. I never owned a, owned a snowmobile until '65. I was uh, able to. Gather enough, uh, save up enough money to buy a '65 Mustang. Okay. Yeah. So, at what point did you start uh, uh, racing racing the sleds? Was was there like a local race starting to appear, like in different towns around Roseau, and uh, you got a weekend off from work that you just went and on your own and raced, or how did that evolve? <clears throat> well. Um... I think I think uh, I think I got to I, I didn't own a machine didn't own a machine and I and and uh, I, I wasn't uh, put onto a factory machine to to race but probably the first time I ever raced I, I won a good cross country and and then uh, I got noticed by the president here and he decided that uh, maybe I should race some more. Well, who was the first factory rider for Polaris? Uh, I, I don't know because um, there probably had been a little racing maybe before I came. I, I, I started in '60, and uh, oh, by by 1960, <clears throat> the racing racing wasn't very uh, popular by at that time. Right. And what was more exciting is the uh, uh, some of the, well, let's see, Edgar Hattin. Edgar Hattin was still the president uh, of Polaris, but I wasn't there yet. He and uh, Erling Falk, and uh, at, least, at least those two guys were up in Alaska. 
they went way up to Alaska to do some uh, some testing. Okay, way back in those days, okay? Yeah, way back then. So they, they loaded up a couple sleds and they drove all the way up to Alaska or they flew them up? I don't know if they if they drove if they hauled them or uh, or flew them one or the other. Okay. Doesn't matter. But uh, but the the main the main snowmobile that we were that they were producing at that time when I started was the uh, was the it was called a Ranger. And a Ranger was. Uh, uh, are you familiar with what what the old Rangers look like? Yeah. Where you sit in the front and engine and, in the back. Yeah, and the engine's in the back. Yeah. And uh, the power unit is in the back. <clears throat> and uh, the the seat the seat uh, the weight your weight on the seat uh, was was uh, transferred to the to the power unit. And so and so your uh, the weight of the of the rider the machine it uh, it was kind of divided between the front two front skis and the, and the power unit okay the power unit power unit was uh, was uh, quite heavy uh, when i when i started there i think that <clears throat> i think the most common model was a, a nine horse only Nine horse cooler on the and that was fastened onto the power unit. Yeah. Yeah. So and it was a pretty it was a pretty <clears throat> small building that we were working in. Right. So it was running. So Polaris was uh, I guess hired mostly local people and it was running uh, like six days a week, uh, twenty four hours around the clock. Or no, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say twenty four hours, but but we often did work on Saturdays. Okay. Yeah, because the, <clears throat> it was it was pretty crowded in there, and and we we had to we had to put a lot of time in. So as the as the sled sales the sales started to uh, to uh, increase in the mm -hmm. uh, in the mid '60s, um, mm -hmm. Polaris would have built their uh, expanded to their to their location where they are now, and uh, built their larger plant. Um, mm -hmm. Did you, when you moved over to the new plant, what was your, uh, what year was that, and what, uh, what was your position at that time? Um, I, I recall I was still, <clears throat> I was still connected with the production, and uh, especially with welding, and I was the welding teacher. So when you would say welding teacher, you, you would hire uh, people off the, uh, off the street, and, uh, and then uh, do the training for. Uh, for fabricating and that in the plant. Yeah, and <clears throat> we'd we'd often we'd often be hiring uh, local farmers to, uh, to to come in and and work with us during the winter when they were not farming. Okay, so snowmobile manufacturing in those days, when did it start? And when did it when did it finish? It wasn't going like uh, year round. Um, I don't you know. Start building sleds <clears throat> like in the summertime. Assembling them? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that uh, that we stopped production during the summer. Okay. Gosh, that's a long time ago. I, some of these things are harder for me to remember. Yeah. So why don't we jump ahead to um, the late 60s. And, okay. um, of course, the sport was really starting to explode. 
There was like over a hundred different companies, different companies building uh, snowmobiles, and and Polaris was you know one of the top top three, top four at the time. Right. Um, and the of course the racing racing uh, uh, scene was starting to explode. There was you know where the races up in Beauzeur had started, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, People were really starting to take notice that the sleds, whatever won at the races on on the weekend, is the machines that they were going into their local dealer to to try and find and buy. So that was through the uh, you know the first TX sleds. Uh, I think it was the TX 500. I think it was built in '68. Tell us how that all came about and uh, and the first free air motors, the Fuji motors, how that uh, all evolved. Uh, I I think the uh, I think the first uh, Japanese uh, engines uh, from Fuji were probably in on the 1970 models. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they were and they were they were good. They were we were pretty happy with them. Oh, was uh, Jerry Reese was was he working with you? Were were you involved in the motor development, or are you still mostly in the fabricating at that time? I don't. <clears throat> I don't think I had any involvement in the in the engine engines at that time because uh, what we were using is we were using um, pretty common, um, pretty common uh, single cylinders uh, from Kohler. Okay. And they and they were in several sizes, from four horse to seven horse, eight horse, nine horse, uh, up to up to 12 horse, I think it was. Okay, Kohler uh, two strokes or four strokes? Uh, four stroke. Four strokes. Okay. Sing- single cylinder, four strokes. All right. Yep. And that so was before. The... Yeah. Go ahead. And oh yeah, and then my wife is uh, coaching me here a little bit too. She reminded me that uh, yeah, we were we were into the. Uh, uh, German engines at that time. Oh, Two. the JLO and the Sachs motors. Yeah, and Hertz. And the Hertz, okay. Yes. Uh huh. So, so lots of different motors, and I guess at that time, every all the manufacturers were trying to, if they were going to stay in business, were were trying to find an engine that was going to be unique to their own brand, right? Yes. Mhm. Yep. Okay. So the <clears throat> Fuji engine uh, came over, and so so the first. Prototype uh, uh, Fuji motors were they on race sleds or or did they go into uh, pre-production type snowmobiles? Oh, it, it would have gone onto a, <clears throat> a test vehicle first to make sure that that it was something that would be right for us. Okay. So would those Bob would those have been uh, race sleds or would they have just been sleds you were running in the ditches outside the plant to test? Oh, it could be it could be either or or both. Okay. So in 1970, the, uh, the the TX came out, and that was a you know that was a, a big year. When you look back through the old magazines and videos, I mean, there's lots of footage of you winning a lot of races uh, in those days. Of course, on the on the big uh, the 795 triples, and uh, you know some of them had the there was a, a, a big twin uh, 800 with uh, dual megaphone exhaust. So you had the TX Playmates, the TX. Chargers and the TX Colts, 
Um, just tell us about that year, 1970. I mean, that was a, a big year for Polaris. Uh, 1970. When I when I think back to that, the the, the biggest change um, in that year was uh, that we got some uh, three-cylinder engines from the Japanese. Yeah. And they were in. Uh, a couple, uh, at least a couple different sizes, like 650 and uh, 795. Okay. And and also, by golly, we had also a 439. So we had triples in three sizes. Right. Yeah. So those triples, I mean, uh, if you were used to driving, you know, running sleds that were 20, 30 horsepower, and then to jump on something with, you know, 80 horsepower, I mean, they must have been a real handful uh, the first time you started uh, running these. Oh yeah, they they went a lot faster. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> I'll always remember the the first uh, <clears throat> first time I, got, I went out to uh, uh, see how fast it, it would go down the highway. Okay. On the shoulder on the side of the highway. Um, one of my guys that was helping me uh, was a good friend of the local sheriff here, so okay. he called up the sheriff, got him out of bed, and the, and the sheriff came out to the highway and chased us down with his radar to see how fast we could go. Holy smokes. <laughs> you don't get that kind of cooperation nowadays. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a, so how fast did you end up going? Do you remember? Well, I, th I think, uh, I think it was about 70. 70 mile an hour. On the shoulder of the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And he was uh, there with the sheriff's car. In those days, did you take these things to some grass drags in the beginning of the year uh, to, to before you race them in the uh, in the winter? Oh, <clears throat> yeah. So, sometimes uh, sometimes our machines got to grass drags, uh, and then when when they went when they went to grass drags, uh, they probably were usually driven by uh, smaller drivers with less weight, you know. Okay, so these were the guys like uh, Leroy Lindblad and. And uh, West Passick uh, and these fellows. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if uh, if Lindblad was with us yet at at that time. Okay. He was. Okay. My wife is uh, saying yes. He was already here. Hey Bob, if your if your wife uh, if you've got another extension uh, in the in the house there, if your wife if your wife wants, wants to come on and uh, and talk too, uh, we'd be more than welcome to <clears throat> to come on. Yeah. Yeah, you could ask uh, Carolyn if she wants to be on another line. That's no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sounds like she's quite the enthusiast too. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to have her on. Good morning. Have her. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I am great. Thank you. Well, that's great. I, thanks I for coming. Thanks, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to hear you talk too. So, um, Bob, um, if, if we can go back for uh, a, a couple of years, um, um, 1967. I, I read that you won the Kawartha Cup, and it was at a it was at a, a, a location in um, outside of Peterborough. Um, and it, it involved three disciplines: uh, an oval race, a cross-country race, and um, an obstacle-type race, um, mm -hmm. a slalom mm -hmm. race. Do you, do you recall that? Yes. Mm -hmm. what, what do you What do you recall uh, about that race? Because uh, we're coming up on the on the 50th year of the Kawartha Cup. Now, the Kawartha Cup doesn't uh, doesn't run as a, as, a, as an oval race now, um, but it's the 50th year of of, of that event. Um, of the beginning of the Kawartha Cup. So what do you what do you recall if, about the '67 event? 
50 years already since we... Yeah, it's we 50 years. It's, it's 50 years uh, this year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do you recall about that 67 event? Um, <clears throat> let's see. Do you, do, you, do you recognize the name Jerry Reese? Yeah. Yeah. He was with us uh, here in engineering at, at, by that time. And I think, we'd, I think we went there together. And we probably both raced over at the, at the Kawartha Cup. Yeah, I had, I had read, uh, Bob, that, that I think you and Jerry and maybe somebody else had come up to Ontario and, and had run a bunch of cross countries in northern Ontario and then uh, and then headed down to the Kawartha Cup. And, of course, you know, eastern Ontario, that would have been, you know, big skidoo, moto ski territory, right? So for, for you guys to come from, uh, from uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, as far as people down here were Concerned, you know, northern Minnesota, and win that race. That was uh, that would have been a big uh, that would have been a big deal. Well, it, it it was, and he also can tell you the storyline about how he and Jerry uh, were driving on their way en route to the race, and um, they had nothing but trouble. And it was in the evening, and he can uh, elaborate a little bit on on. Uh, the the snowstorm and the the turn where uh, a trucker tried to wipe them out and trying to find a, a welder in the middle of the night. Really? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, we had we had we we didn't we didn't have anything fancy uh, like uh, like we did in the later years uh, with our uh, big race team. Uh, we we were running old uh, old 1960s. Six and sixty-seven uh, GMC pickup with a two-wheel trailer behind and two snowmobiles on it and one in the box. Okay. And <clears throat> um, as time went on, you know, we, we got we got better uh, better equipment, especially for traveling, and we ended up uh, getting a semi-trailer that we uh, e equipped uh, with a shop mm -hmm. in it and. And that's how we pulled to the races in the in the later years. Uh, Bob, why don't you tell about the the trip to Ontario with Jerry? Uh, the trip to, to Ontario with Jerry. Uh, it was when you were in your your um, pickup with a with a trailer and with a camper on it, and you got smucked. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're we're <coughs> we're heading uh, heading out of Roseau late in the night. Um, yeah. Uh and and we're our our destination is uh someplace in Ontario. Maybe I don't know, Carolyn, was it Kenora or was it a lot further? Kenora. Oh, Kenora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got we got up through the border and uh we were uh a little late we thought, you know, so we're we're probably speeding some. And uh the uh we we had a problem with the trailer coming unhooked, or something something back there happened, and uh, what a, what a commotion and and uh, it we still our machine still worked, but uh, you had a we had to. Yeah, you what 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 Bob had to do. He and Jerry had to try to find a, the closest town. And they also had to find 
uh, a welder, and you can imagine what um, 1967 uh, service was like back in the day. Uh, there was no 24-7 SOs or holiday stores where they would be able to you know, direct you over to um, the local machine shop. Right. Yeah, so you would have been in the middle of the night banging on somebody's door to, to try and get some help to, to fix your uh, equipment. Yeah. Yes, and, and Bob has to, if, if he can uh, reflect back, uh, if he can re remember, <laughs> he's told me the story about how how challenging it was to find somebody, and it was about four four o'clock in the morning by the time that they found a welder and um, somebody that was able to open up a gas gasoline um, service repair shop and they they were pretty exhausted because it wasn't only trying to get the snowmobiles you know to make sure that they were all safe and ready to go, but it was getting this trailer in the hitch. Um, fixed properly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and welded, and to make sure that the gentleman that was welding um, was doing it correctly, because you had Mr. Welder yes. from Flares <laughs> that <laughs> wanted to make sure that it was rock solid. He wouldn't let you so, weld, uh, Bob. Pardon me. He wouldn't let you weld. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I got to weld too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, all, all I know is that when Jerry, Reese, and Bob sit down and start talking about that trip, they both look at each other and they 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 put their heads down and said, "What a trip!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 the, the first thing is to talk about their their little turmoil with the trailer and you know making sure that the sleds um, were working and they had to be race ready and then they traveled as fast as they could to their race destination because this was on a Thursday night, Friday. They had to have everything registered by Friday night. Yeah, that would have been pushing it for sure. <laughs> yes, it was. It was pushing it. And they were both mentally and physically exhausted and cold and hungry. And uh, But they got there and they got registered and they got a few winks uh, for the Saturday morning race. And they went out and I, I think that they kind of blasted uh, Lasted Canada. Yeah. So wait, was that a was that a two or three day race, uh, Bob? Uh, I, I'd race. say I'd say it wasn't a three day race, but maybe it was a two day race. Yeah. So you had uh, you had an event or two um, each day. Um, like uh, there was, it says that there was three segments: uh, an oval, cross country, and uh, a slalom type event. Oh, okay. For yeah. Total, for, yeah. Total, for total points. Oh, we, we, yeah, we could we could do two of the events, I guess, uh, in 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 one day. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe uh, maybe maybe the feature oval was on on Sunday or something. Yeah. 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 So, so Bob, um, when you uh, when you look back, like um, I mean, you obviously had some natural uh, you had natural talent to uh, to ride a snowmobile and be fast on it. Did you race stock cars or anything else in the summertime, or did you just race snowmobiles in the day? I never, I never, <clears throat> I, never uh, I never raced a car. No. So just snowmobiles. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think made you uh, made you such a natural to be, uh, you know, fast in cross country and on the oval? What, uh, what, 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 what do you think you had that a lot of people didn't? 
And I know you're a modest guy, so but just this is your this is your uh, time to uh, to brag about yourself a bit. Okay, uh, I was uh, I was probably the the right age. Uh, I was probably the right age to be to be able to um, uh, take care of the of the of the speed and and to and to stand up when when the when the when the going gets rough and. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's very important to have strong legs. So did you work out a lot or no? Uh, not not a whole lot because we were so busy we were so busy working at the at the at the factory. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's important to note that you weren't just a racer like some of the other people you were racing against that just parachuted in in the winter and, and uh, you know, raced motorcycles or cars in the summertime and then raced snowmobiles. I mean, you were a full-time uh, person in the production of uh, the consumer sleds and building the prototypes for the following year, and then the racing part was kind of almost like a sideline at the beginning, right? Yeah. 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 It, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't our... Uh... It wasn't our um, all main job, right? So in '70, so after the '70 season, when the uh, the TXs came out, um, and you guys had a really big year, um, I don't know how much involvement you had, or maybe you can uh, let us know. But Polaris came out with the uh, the first uh, uh, clutch, like the the, the the aluminum flyway clutch that was, you know, is, is still pretty well standard in the industry today. Do you remember yeah. anything about the development of that clutch at Polaris? Uh, um, who dreamt up the idea of it? And, uh, and um, Because that really, you know, Polaris at the time may, may not have was developing the, the most horsepower in their engines, but they were able to, uh, to get the power to the track, and they were a lot easier on belts. You didn't see as many uh, older Polaris sleds blowing belts like you would uh, the competition because of the clutch not putting as much heat into the into the belt. Do you, do you remember much about the development of of the uh, of that clutch? Well, <clears throat> uh, the the first uh, the first clutches that we made uh, at Polaris were 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 all steel, uh, steel sheet metal steel. I shouldn't say all all sheet metal because there was uh, of course the weights you know are, are made of steel and you know what they look like. Yeah. And the springs, and uh, what was your favorite type of racing? Was it were you did you were you more uh, did you like the cross country racing more or, or the oval? I, I I usually say that I, I probably like the cross country more than more than the oval. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, one thing about uh, cross country, if if they laid out a pretty nice course. Where you can uh, have a, a trail to follow, uh, it's it's more safe than on an oval where you're where you're uh, almost touching each other, you know. Yeah. So the uh, the I five hundred, uh, the Winnipeg to St. Paul. How many times did you race that? Uh, I don't recall how many times I raced it, but I, I was second once, and I guess I was third once. So you got second and third once, okay. Yeah, second one, third one, and third one. So I mean, uh, um, 
you know, back in those days, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you were running the leaf spring sleds and not much for suspension travel. I mean, uh, how was your body after uh, a day of pounding in the ditches and, and that on those sleds back in those days? I mean, could you barely walk the next morning or what was it like? Oh, it was it was it was <clears throat> it was pretty nice to get uh, to get to a motel or hotel room and, and get into a hot tub. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. So at the end of the at the end of the day, I mean, you had so much time to work on your sled. You could do repairs. What what type of repairs were you allowed? And and was it were you able to have somebody help you, or was it just the driver on their own? Oh, I I think of uh, I think of Crookston. That was probably the main the main place to. Uh, the driver, the driver could work together with with uh, one mechanic. Okay. To get his machine in whatever condition they had to repair or or whatever. You could basically replace any part on it other than the engine. Yeah, I think maybe that would be true. Okay. Yeah. So, so your best result was uh, was uh, a, a a second, and. Um, you were telling me earlier that the Rhinelander Hodag was also one of your favorite uh, races that you won uh, quite a few years. You want to you want to just rem- recall some memories on on that particular race? Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I really liked that race. Okay, so what what did you like about it? Well, for one thing, it was it was uh, uh, it wasn't 500 miles long. It was I think the longest uh, that, that they ran there was uh, 70 miles. Okay. And uh, and we do it do it in one day and get it over with and and uh, and then we'd uh, get our get everything together back in our uh, vehicle and uh, and we'd we'd get come back home and and probably uh, get ready for uh, Winnipeg to St. Paul starting tomorrow morning. Yeah. Well. What, was the, what would the prize money be like in those days, uh, Bob? Well, the uh, the best prize I ever got was a, a in uh, in '68 uh, Rhinelander Hodeg. The prize was a a, a brand new 1968 uh, Javelin car. Oh, really? That's that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Really good. But I had to stay there a few days to to get to be able to drive it home <laughs> because. Uh, uh, you probably heard of a guy by the name of Steve Obby. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Because I because I beat him, and he didn't believe I could beat him. That that was uh, one of the times when we had to we had to bring in uh, even attorneys, and uh, spend a couple of days to get uh, to get it settled so I could drive it home. <laughs> wow. Because they thought you cheated. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Obby 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 couldn't believe that anybody could beat him. He thought he was the best. What was he on? What uh, what model sled was he on? Skidoo. Yeah. Yeah, he was on a Skidoo. So you had lots of uh, lots of battles then with uh, Steve Obby. I guess every year when you showed up, that was the the one guy for sure you wanted to put behind you. I guess. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He asked for it, and <laughs> I wanted to give it to him. <laughs> yeah. So how many years in a row did you win that race, Bob? Uh... I, I, I think I won it four times, and uh, there was—I think there was two two years in a row. Years in a row. But 
Yeah, but I don't recall for sure what years it was. Was it 70, 71? Yeah. I don't think it was uh, 68 and, and 9 because uh, we had, uh, we blew the out. Oh, okay, here we go. I won the Hodag four times. And I guess you didn't uh, win a javelin each time. No. no. But in <laughs> first, my first win there was uh, in 1966. I was riding a, uh, a short colt. You probably remember the short tracks on them. Yeah. And uh, short colt, and, and I won it that year, 66. Okay, 67, we had uh, bigger engines, more power, and that caused uh, belt problems. And so I didn't win it that year. 68 was the year that they had a brand new javelin for the prize, and I did win it that year. Um, 69. Um, 69. Oh. Yeah, I got hurt that year. And and then uh, 70 and 71, I was first those two years, too. Okay, so that probably was right near the end of that race because it didn't it didn't run for that many more years after that, did it? That's right. So I remember reading in an old magazine, I think it was seventy one or seventy two, that it was like minus forty, and it was just yeah. just to finish the race was was uh, feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to we had to be able to uh, uh, survive in that cold weather. Oh, and no handlebar warmers in those days, right? Oh, no. I don't think they were invented yet. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, Bob. Um me? The, the, uh, the X2 Flying Wedge, the speed machines, when you yeah. guys were trying to break the world speed record out in West Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Um, how much involvement did you have with, that, with the X2 Flying Wedge at the beginning, or, or did you not? And did you ever drive it? Oh. I know Mike Baker set the world record with it, but did you did you get a chance to run that sled, or why did they choose uh, Mike Baker over you, or did you have a chance in building it, or was that Daryl Courtright and Jerry Reese and Mike Baker and that building that? I I, I, w- I want to say that uh, that it was the the builders the builders got the chance to uh, to to ride it to run okay. it. And uh, maybe maybe after they uh, each made their uh, made their run, uh, maybe I got to run it too. I don't know. I don't remember for sure. But you built your own speed sled, right? The Shooting Star. Yeah. Okay. So, what what was that? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that sled? Oh, let's see. Shooting Star, Carolyn. What? Uh... Two seven ninety fives, one vertical and one horizontal engine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Put into a, a chassis, a, snow, um, a Starfire chassis, mm-hmm. and um, he built that in over Christmas of the year of '72 into '73, and it was uh, a beautiful, beautiful speed machine that, um, unfortunately, due to uh, the high RPMs on the on the machine and the horsepower, the belt was one thing that uh, could not handle the the torque on the on the machine and uh, that they, they were it was tested in um, 
for it was run in a competition in West Yellowstone as well as out east. Right. And um, unfortunately, uh, I think that because of his work schedule, after that race, two races, one was in Boonville and one was in West Yellowstone, um, what happened is schedule-wise and timing-wise, he never was really able to get back to working on that machine. Right. And uh, it sat up on top of a shelf for many, many years at Polaris. And um, it was taken down from the shelf many times. Probably they were going to dispose of it. But because it was, was Bob's, he insisted that, no, it has to go back up above his shelf. And uh, uh, so sometimes we would probably take a vehicle down like that uh, to borrow to borrow a part. Right. If there was right. uh, no other part available. So then Polaris said, you know, Bob, why don't you just take it out to your farm and put it in a closet? And it sat there for many, many years, and everybody always wondered where was the shooting star. Bob uh, farmed um, Kentucky bluegrass for many, many years. And when Bob and I became involved with back in the early 2000s, I said, hey, where's that uh, shooting star sitting? And he said, oh, it's, it's someplace in the Quonset, out at the North Farm that he has. So I went looking for it one day, and there was probably 15 feet mounds of um, grass seed, but I, I plunged my way through that grass seed pile that was about 100 feet long, and I found it sitting in a corner, and I said, Bob, we have to get this sled home back into our garage. Yeah, absolutely. But we got, and this was prior. We, I shouldn't say our garage. It was his garage in town. And um, when we got married, that was the first thing on my wish list, was to get the shooting star into the garage at our home. And um, we... He, he one day surprised me, and he brought it home, and he said, here you go. And it sat in our garage, covered, and everyone said, you know, I, I just remember the Thunder, he, he did a performance back in, um, before he left Roseau with the machine at the local, um, it, it was the Snowmocade, which was the, the race before Beaujeur here in Roseau. And I, I remember having... Um, being at uh, corner one and hearing that machine and hearing the, the the power, not only on my ears, but you could feel this, the power on your feet. Yeah. It was the thunder on your feet. And I remember when he drove by, I had red, red mittens on, and I was 12 years old, and I, I put those red mittens up in my jacket because I didn't want Bob Eastman to see my, my red mittens. <laughs> <laughs> And you, you have that sled I, still, right, Bob? Yes, yes, yes. Well, anyway, he, I, I just have to get back. He, he, he brought it home, and I dusted all of the bluegrass shaft off and the, the seed. And then uh, it was time for us to think about who um, we could contact that we felt that would be able to restore it. And there are, were, um, was um, 
a wonderful, great team of people that help supply parts. And I, I want to mention them. Um, Larry Preston was an unbelievable, um, huge help, and he had suggested uh, there's uh, David Lee, and he has um, two brothers. And they both, two, of, two of the three work up at, uh, Polar or at Polaris currently right now. And they are engine gurus. And I will also plug in that they are skidoo boys. And I grew up about four miles on a farm from their dairy farm. And they always had skidoos. They were the only skidoo people in the, in the family. Anyway, um, well, that was living dangerously then, eh? Oh, that was very living dangerously. But then I have to recall and remember um, that I didn't live too far from the Canadian border. I was only about four miles away. So um, the, the David Lee's family, they could get by with all the skidoos. <laughs> they could just chase on over to Canada if they had to. But what um, they did is. Um, David Lee and his uh, brothers came and picked it up, and they took it to David Lee's farm shop, and um, Larry Preston, Jim Haug, uh, Les Pins, there were a few, I guess I'm probably off the cuff um, missing some of the team players that helped um, get this machine running again. and. Um, it's um, now restored in original condition. It was just to basically put parts that were missing from the sled on the engine, put it back in there, and um, they are now, it's now sitting at the Experience Center that Polaris has as a museum, and it's, it's there now. Really? And it's okay. in running Perfect. condition. Fantastic. And one of the goals that, that um, I just have to, you know, I don't mean to be interjecting here, but one of the goals, um, this, this came alive in 2012. And at the time of 2012, when um, they said the machine is ready, uh, the late Leroy Lindblad had said, only Eastman and I can be the ones that can start it. And because of that, uh, Larry or Leroy died in October of 2012, and Bob chose not to start that machine. He had somebody else start it, and Bob said, "I don't want to be here because Leroy is not here." So Bob hasn't heard that machine for almost 40 years, oh. but uh, I've had a sneak peek of it, and it still is beautiful. It sounds beautiful. The thunder is gorgeous on your feet, and it gives me thrills back to 1973. So anyway, um, I, my, my dream was to video Leroy and Bob starting up the, the two engines and, uh, you know, giving us a little RPM and uh, throttle sound, but um, we never got to have that because Leroy got too ill before um, this happened and, and unfortunately he passed away. So anyway, we, we put it in the week after Leroy passed away. We put it in the museum over at, uh, in Roseau. Oh, that's an awesome story. Yeah, great. Thank you. Is, uh, is, Bob, is Bob there still? 
Yes, he is. Yeah, I'm, I, <clears throat> I stayed on the line here. Hey, Bob. Um, and thanks, Pat, Carolyn. That's uh, that's really uh, cool uh, story. I, um, I, when I, you get back, I just want to interject here. Later on, if you want to ask any questions about the clutches, I got answers. So just keep on asking, Bob. Okay. Um, well, I mean, do you have any answers about the clutch? Who who was responsible for it? Or? Polaris sponsored clutches. They had clutches, and they also sponsored clutches over to Arctic Cat. And I want to tell you the year that Bob got that Bob won in second place on the I-500. Okay. They were in the lineup, and I don't know which town it was, if it was the last leg of the I-500, but um, as, as I mentioned, Polaris supplied Articat the clutches. And uh, one of the, the guys from Articat said, Bob, I, I don't have, um, my, my clutch isn't working. I, I need some parts. So while Bob was getting things ready, he told the gentleman that worked out of the parts department, out of the race trailer, go and give Cormican a new clutch. So he did, and of course, how easy it is is just to spin off a few bolts and throw the new bolt, one bolt in. It's, it's one, you know, long bolt uh, on the drive clutch, and uh, the gentleman that ran there, and he faithfully. <laughs> Handed it to Dale Cormican, and Dale Cormican raced Articat, and um, that's the story why Bob went ahead, and he was buzzing along and going, and he was he was in the lead, and all of a sudden he could hear something coming behind him, and it was Cormican on an Articat, and Cormican Dale Cormican won that year. Wow! So that was like probably '68 or '69 was when Dale Cormican. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. That, that, that's the story. So that's why I want to just say, you know, what my knowledge is about back then is that, yes, Polaris had clutches, you know, and I believe that they did a lot of in-house work. Um, that's been a, a real pride for Polaris. Is so that, how did that go over on uh, Monday morning when you went to work, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we we were... Polaris was the supplier for Articat clutches. Yeah. And, uh, and when Cormican uh, was uh, on the, in trouble right there on the spot, and I, I knew that I knew that we had the part that he needed. We had it in our truck, and it was time for the race to start. And I went, I ran over to the to our parts man at, at the truck, and I said, I got to leave now. It's, Almost time for the flag, for the green flag to go, and uh, maybe you can help Cormican here with the clutch. And what I really, what I really meant was to give him the part that he needed, that he could put, that he could take his clutch apart and put that, and replace whatever was wrong with it. Instead, our parts man just gave him a whole new clutch, and and uh, I suppose I was. Uh, Oh, 40 miles down the race course already, and I heard some noise coming behind me, and sure enough, it was uh, uh, a Polaris clutch. A Polaris clutch <laughs> on, on an Articat machine. On the Articat. On the Articat. But, uh, but, uh, but, of course, uh, you probably know, uh, we were we were the supplier 
Polaris supplied Arctic with clutches for quite a few years. Okay. All right. No, actually, I didn't know that. So yeah. that was in the early days before the... Yeah. Uh, huh. yeah. That would have been in the early 70s. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to move things along a little bit. Um, 73, you won the world championship. Been a, I think you were the probably the first guy on a Polaris to win Eagle River. And uh, I don't know if you were one of the favorites that year, Bob. You were on that big six, 73, 650, or 800 Starfire. And uh, I've, you know, I've watched the, the tape of you winning that race. And uh, yep. I think Mike Trapp and Mike Trapp had switched to Skidoo that year, and uh, and Jim yep. Adama on Snow Jets was really fast that year. Do you, what what do you recall about that uh, about winning that race and 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 how your sled ran? <clears throat> uh, oh gosh, that's a long time ago. But but anyway, I don't think I had I don't think it had any any uh, trouble with the with the machine and. The course was uh oh was that the year that uh was that the year that it was a, a a dirt track? Yeah, it was all sawdust. It was sawdust, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it was I think it was a real mild day that put sawdust on the track to keep the ice in good shape for you. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what the condition was uh of the track there and and uh we raced on it and made the best of it. Oh, was your uh, were you the like in those days? You guys were uh, you had quite a big team. Um, who was your mechanic then? Were, were you the mechanic also, or was this uh, there was a fellow? I think his name was Erwin Nelson. Was he your mechanic or? Erwin Nelson was one of our mechanics. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in those days when you were racing, were you were you also doing a lot of the mechanical work on your sled, or would you just would you just race them on the weekends? Oh, uh, some of each, I guess. Some of both, okay. Yeah, yeah. So after 73, of course, the next year was the Snow Pro year, 74. 74 came Snow Pro, yeah. Snow Pros. So um, uh, the Polaris sleds, when uh, when you were building them, I'm, I'm told they had a lot of exotic metals in them, titanium, magnesium, Um was that your first experience working with those new materials uh, to build a snowmobile from? It would have been the uh, it would have been the first year for magnesium. Yes. So, what part of the sled did you use magnesium? Do you remember? Oh gosh. Uh, oh. I mean, the 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 Polaris sleds were probably. Not the most sophisticated machines compared to you know other Articat had come out with liquid cooled engines. You were still running your free air motors, but I guess just the sleds were so lightweight that the power to weight ratio was uh, was was better than the competition. And uh, you guys won a lot of races that year. I think Stan Hayes won the uh, won the championship, right? Uh, did Stan win the championship in '74? '74. Well, he won it in '64. Um, the Snow yeah. Pro Championship, I think. Stan oh, well, the Hayes Snow was Pro Champion. Yes, Snow Pro. Yes, I believe he was the Snow Pro Champ of '74 too. Okay. So Bob, in '74, that was the year that uh, I think that was the last year you raced ovals. That's when you you had a crash in uh, Michigan. Do you, you remember much oh. about that? Yeah, my steering my steering post uh, broke off and I hit the wall. Wow. Okay. 
Well, what were your injuries uh, there, Bob? Uh, broken back. Oh, really? Yeah. So, after after that, then, that was the end of your racing career, right? That's right, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that must have been quite a bit of rehab to come back from from that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, in 75, a... 75, you started back then, uh, as that's when you became the race team manager full-time? Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that was probably 75. 75, okay. Yeah. So, 75, uh, the, the, uh, the race sleds that year were uh, pretty similar to the 74s. Do you remember much of the changes between the two years, what you had changed? They looked similar, but... I think I was very involved anymore by that time. By 75? Yeah. So, um, the the IFS sleds, the RXL. Yeah, the RXL. First independent front suspension sleds. What what do you remember about those days developing those? Well, we, uh, we spent a lot of time developing it and, and uh, and uh, getting ready to produce a, a certain number of, of them. Right. At, uh, do you remember, Carolyn, did we make 100 of them? Or yes. Was it? Yes, it was 100. 100. Yeah. So the, when did you decide that, the, uh, that IFS was going to be the way of the future um, and get rid of the leaf spring heat suspension? Oh, probably uh, after we, after we uh, tested the first... Uh, RXL. So, do you remember watching Joe Villeneuve race his uh, ski rules with the IFS on them? Yes. <laughs> like in '76, like do you? Did, I don't know if your team, if the team raced against them or not, but uh, was that kind yeah. of the point where you kind of thought, "Wow, this is really something. We got to look into this." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you guys, did, did Polaris ever try and uh, hire Joe Villeneuve to to race for them or to come in as a uh, on the be a part of the race team, Bob? Do you remember or or no? Oh, <clears throat> oh, but prob probably not. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if Carolyn remembers because or... because he was a good uh, racer it would be a, a plus, you know. Yeah. Because because uh, missing uh, missing a lot of uh, English, uh, it's pretty hard to work with somebody that. that in engineering, if we can't communicate a lot, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bob, Bob, when you seen when you seen uh, Gilles, did, did you did you think that he was just an extraordinary driver on that sled, or did you think it, it was the independent suspension that was uh, that was, you know, getting him the wins and and the, and the great performances? Um, I, I I think I would like to say a, a combination because I, I had known him already, mm -hmm. and. And uh, I, I knew that he was a very skilled driver, and he was a little guy, a light guy, a light. Uh, he had a advantage in in being uh, lightweight. You know, I don't know if he weighed over 100 pounds. Really? Yeah. Did, did you get a Did you get a um, a, a sense that the, the, before he debuted uh, that Alouette sled that he was working on on something like that? Like, was there, um, or or did he just surprise everybody? Uh, 
um, that year and, and, and come out with this independent sled? Oh, like was it was it a total surprise when he when he showed up uh, that year with the an independent sled and kind of caught everybody off guard? Uh, um, uh, I don't I don't think it was a total surprise. Uh, you know, in the in that snow pro uh, category, yeah. For every every company is uh, is going going home every uh, every Sunday night yeah. with 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 ideas of what they want to try Monday morning because they saw it at the racetrack. Really? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hal. So when you showed up, uh, if you remember that first uh, at Ironwood, Bob, back in '74, when Gilles Villeneuve showed up with the uh, twin track Alouette. The, the one that looked like a, a race car that he sat in. Yeah. Do you remember, do you recall your thoughts on seeing that thing? No, I, I don't remember really. Uh, I don't remember when the first time I saw it. Uh, uh, How did you like racing against it? Well, <clears throat> I wasn't... Uh, I probably wasn't uh, racing anymore by that time, myself. Okay. But I, but I, I surely wa watched our team drivers uh, competing against uh, Twin Track. Right. <coughs> Was there any uh, uh, negative feedback from the other drivers that they, they were kind of worried about this uh, different type of sit-in sled uh, racing against them? Well. Uh, I don't recall uh, that there was a, any problem with it, uh, other than it's a bigger, heavier machine and, and maybe a little more clumsy. Did, in the back of your mind, did you think after you've seen it uh, that maybe you should try building something like that? Uh, maybe Jill was onto something. Uh, was there any discussion about maybe uh, you know maybe we should try doing something like this? Oh. I don't know. Was it just too far out there at that time? Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't long after that when uh, Polaris started uh, backing out of that. Out of that uh, competition. Yeah. Yeah, that class. Yeah. Okay, Hal. Hey, Bob. Um, let's jump away from the snowmobile racing uh, in the uh, in the early '80s when the first. Uh, uh, Bob Prezekwa and I think Bert Bassett and Ed Munsred, uh, uh came out with the first uh, TXL Indy for cross country. Remember back in those days when the when they were building kind of a you know they, I guess they used the RXL as a as a model and they and they uh, were building a cross country sled with independent front suspension. Do you do you remember much about you know the guys building that thing in the shop and then taking it out to the first. Uh, uh, race to run it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean that that machine really you know changed the the whole sport of snowmobiling, the Indy. Um, mm -hmm. What do you what do you remember about those days when they were putting that thing together and that? Did you think they were crazy or or did you think that was the way to go? No, we we knew that we knew it was the way to go because we'd already proven it uh, in in our RXL. Right. So got um, a lot more complicated to build, I guess, on the assembly line at Roseau and that or or. So it was going to be a lot more more expensive of a snowmobile, right? So was there a lot of discussion about is this the way of the future, or you know, as a as a consumer sled? 
my feeling is that you know we we raced these IFS machines for a couple of years there. Yeah. Uh, probably starting with the RXL and then with and then with the ND and and I I think we raced it enough to to prove that it uh, that it was a, a nice safe machine and probably better handling than uh, than a uh, than a non, than a non IFS. Yeah. And safer. I don't think there was any uh, any complaints. Okay. So I mean that sled was uh, was a real game changer, and uh, it really saved Polaris's uh, uh, bacon in the early '80s when the, you know when Arctic Cat went out of business for a few years, and and uh, there wasn't a lot of snow around, and you know there was uh, and, and a bit of a recession also. So yeah. it was. Uh, did you have much of a of a hand in in the developments of the you know the different versions of it, like the Indy Trail and then the Indy 600? Did you did you have much involvement at that point in time, or what were what was your how how had your job changed at Polaris by then? Oh, let's see. Um, he, he was he was development manager, so he oversaw the projects, and he's just being very humble. Yeah, I, that's what I can. Carolyn, Carol, what, were, what were your recollections back in those years when uh, the IFS uh, sleds were, were coming in? Were, were, you, were you still going to the races? Oh, yes. Um, you, well, you, I, got, I, you I must attended, have some stories. I, I attended when I could, and I, I will tell you that um, <laughs> in our family, um, Bob Brzezak was, of course, is a, a brother-in-law to us. Okay. And, uh, you know, we get to ride, ride. I think I told you, Carolyn, we ride with Bob every Prozac uh, ride that's at Yellowstone at Snowshoot every year. So we get to spend a lot of time. We get to spend a week with them anyways. Well, I, I tell you what, you're, you're very honored because, um, you know, when people ask you who's your hero, that's who my hero is. He and Dorothy Mercer were, you know, have been my heroes ever since uh, I've been a kid. And uh, Bob Prozac came into my, my life when I was 10 years old and, you know, I um, he's he's you know he's the type of person that can fix anything, and if you can't fix it, you're going to find something to fix it out of out of nothing. And um, I I just have to just tell you the race years, uh, we had a lot of cats and dogs named Indy uh, in our family. <laughs> um, there there was uh, also you know I I think I told you Hal the last conversation. Um, in 2004, when uh, one time Bob gave me cats for Easter, and I was a real fan of Jacques and Jill uh, when I was in high school, and uh, Jacques and Jill, you know, were my my names of my cats, and I did tell Jacques on the racetrack uh, in Beaujeur that I had named cats after Jacques and him and his brother Jill. Um, but also, the Indy changed a lot of 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 life uh, for snowmobiling enthusiasts, especially for youth. Um, it became more accessible and e an easier handling machine, and more comfortable. And that was uh, that was a that was a celebration for our community to have not only a changeover from you know, leafers, but over to the RXLs and then into the Indy phase. That was something that um, 
you know, the Indy is just still a highly regarded machine to this very day. Yeah. What do you, what do you recall about the races uh, back then, Carolyn? Exciting. Yeah. Did you go to many? <laughs> of course, you know, you're, you're a teenager, you know, back in the early 70s. Um, it, 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 it was the excitement of, you know, first of all, I guess I was uh, a little brat that when I did get to go to races, um, you know, I was allowed in the pits and I was uh, given a lot of opportunity to hang out in the race trailer it, when when I was there, or else um, you know, be in the front row so I could be watching it in a in a warm vehicle. You know, it wasn't where you know some of us back some of us people back in the day. You know, I I I know that um, kids would come up to me and say, you know, I saw you out in that trailer and I saw you out sitting in in a pickup. You sure had it nice. It was really cold out in the stands. So I, I've been very blessed in that area. Um, the other thing was that, you know, watching, just watching um, the evolution of, of this race and the machines progressing every year and, you know, not really knowing competition, not really knowing what was going on, but, you know, eventually you, you learn the sport and you learn what the racing is about and, you know, um, I learned a lot by trading um, hot tamale candy for the Snowgoer magazine when it would come out um, from a guy on, on the school bus on the way home um, after he had read it. So, you know, that, that's how I learned. But, um, you know, my, my brother-in-law, Bob Rizak, was at the time, I mean, he, he was quite quiet. He never, you know, would say too much about work. And, of course, what questions does a you know, 13, 14-year-old girl asks somebody that's working on, you know, a project at Polaris. Yeah. Now I, I, I could because I've had the experience over there, so I, I know what to, what to ask, and, and, but that's, not, that's proprietary. Now I'm not, I'm not there as an employee, and, um, you know, Bob and I, we reflect a lot about a lot of things, um, and I pop up a, a lot of questions to him off the cuff some days um, when we're farming or if we're just sitting here having coffee. And I, I like to ask him a lot of things about race day, you know. And uh, like Leroy Lindblad used to say before he, he died the last years, it's a, it, it isn't a race day, but it's a great day. <laughs> so <laughs> that's... Those, those are some of the nice little things that the person can take care of and, and say, you know, that you have fond memories. And it was uh, the style changes, you know. Artie Cat and Skidoo were always ahead with the clothing styles. And, of course, you know, you want to be, you know, dressed pretty hot. And um, I don't know how Skidoo can do it, but with yellow and black, they certainly still can make a, a beautiful snowmobile suit um, with the, their styling. And Articat, of course, they were wild. They still have the wild uh, uh, apparel, accessories um, for dress, and they have great designers in their um, PG&A. They, they, they had a lot of uh, cat-themed type stuff, uh, leopards and oh, leopards, and yes. Back then, and yeah. Yes. So, what was your position I, at? Uh, what, what did you do for Polaris? Oh, um, 
I, I started out in ATV engineering as a uh, project leader, and I got into the international ATV engineering project leader, so I was um, involved in development for um, ATVs that went um, into Europe, mainly in the Scandinavian countries. And um, then eventually I went into my last um, title was I uh, was the senior um, ATV um, person that took care of uh, emissions and engine regulations for CARB and uh, European specifications. Well, okay. Well, Hal, do you want to do you want to contribute uh, some? some yeah, I wanted to find out from Bob. I think it was in the early '80s. Um, Bob, how much involvement did you have right at the get-go with Polaris's uh, move from snowmobiles into the three-wheelers and then the four-wheelers? Oh, <clears throat> not 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 near as much as as I was involved in uh, in the early snowmobiles. Okay. I think you. Yeah. I remember you telling me uh, one time when I was chatting with you that uh, I think one of the very first. Uh, three-wheeler prototypes that uh, you were low on an engine part, and I think you actually stole a cylinder off the shooting star to, uh, to put on a motor there to, to do some testing in that. Yeah. Yes, it was. that's a true statement. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, so a couple more questions before I guess we wrap things up here. Um, Bob, what is you? And I know Bob's a real humble guy. What, what's your what? What are you most? What's your your proudest uh, achievement working at Polaris when you look back over the years? It could be, you know, is is, is it a, a particular uh, model of sled or a, or a innovation that's on a snowmobile, or maybe it's just being a mentor to other people at the plant. What when you look back um, and over your career at Polaris? Um, I mean, you touched a lot of people at the racetrack and and at the plant. Um, what what do you you know? What is your what is your shining star that you think of? Oh, I I think uh, I think probably trying to create uh, new new things, uh, new models, and and new things on maybe on old models. Okay. Uh, just Have you got an example? Do you have an example that you're thinking of, or? Uh, yeah. I've, I have a Polaris Ranger sitting in my garage here, uh, right beside our house. Yeah. And uh, it's a 1959. It's a, oh, it's a 61 model. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's got a. It's got a, probably a top speed of. Oh. 12, 15 miles an hour. Okay. Got a, a, a big heavy uh, 10 horse Kohler on the on the power unit. And uh, you know, every time I go in the garage, I look at that old thing and I say, boy, sure, sure glad, sure glad we uh, aren't making them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, that was, the company's come a long way since you yeah, know yeah, those early yeah. days when you started. Uh, I mean, Polaris is a multi-billion-dollar corporation now. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's a different company than than what it was when you started. Is it what what's it like at Polaris 
these days? Like, do you still pop in? And is there, I mean, there's still some people there working. I'm sure that you know. Is it uh, um, is it still a great, great, uh, great work environment? And people love going to work every day. I'm sure they do. I sure, I sure hope they still uh, uh, are glad to go to work and get a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a couple other things. What was your um, over all the years of all the races? Who was the who was the you know competitive driver or maybe a driver that was on the same on the Polaris team with you that you really respected the most, both on and off the track? That you know when you pulled up to the line and looked over and you looked into that person's eyes on the start line that you thought, yeah, this guy's you know he's uh, you know he's he's the guy to beat. Like, is, is there any one one particular competitor that you know, was both good, you know, with his hands, you know, repairing, building stuff, and then also good on the track that you really respected the most? Oh, <clears throat> oh I, I, I'd I, say probably uh, several guys. Uh, uh, Jerry Reese was, was uh, one of my teammates that I probably appreciated uh, more than, more than, more than some. Uh, he, of course, he. I wasn't always real happy with him uh, on leaving Polaris and and going over to start another company. Yeah. He's the one that started uh, Brutanza. Right. In the Brute snowmobile. Yeah. Anybody else from any of the other teams from Articat or Skidoo or Snowjet or Yamaha that you really admired? Um, yeah, <clears throat> you know, th this is getting to be uh, quite a long time ago already now. I know it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, I know I know some some of the ones that he, he really highly regarded, uh, the late Sam Sessions. Oh, yeah. Jim Adema. Yeah, yeah. Gilles. Jacques. Yeah. Um, and, 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 from other teams also, uh, like over in Thief River, you know, Charlie Lofton. Uh, he, he, he drove the, uh, the Articat uh, twin track with the Chevy engine on it out of yep. West Yellows. Boss Cat? Yeah. Yeah, Boss Cat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I've done quite a few of these interviews, Bob, over the years. Uh, Talking with people that raced against you, like Yvonne Duhamel and oh, um, and um, uh, Gene Bloom, that used to race for Rupp, and I asked them the same question, and I, and I got to tell you, every one of them always says it's Bob Eastman because uh, Bob was really good on the racetrack. Um, he was always there, you know, if somebody needed some wrenches or whatever in the pits, didn't matter what sled they raced, you were always there to help out, and. Uh, and you're also a real good mechanic, so it's uh, um, you know it's a real credit to you that uh, that these guys that were you know top racers for other teams uh, had a, had a lot of respect for you. Well, that's, that's that's nice to hear. It was it was a, a wonderful moment when in 2010, uh, Yvonne and his wife and um, let's see the trap. Um, the Trap Boys were together, and um, 
you know, the big dog fight that uh, the, the two had in the, in the race, uh, Yvonne and Mike Trapp. And anyway, it, you know, when we get together at different races, like a year and a half ago, we were over at um, Eagle River, and unfortunately, Yvonne wasn't there, but, you know, when, when we get together, Mike Trapp is there, Bob is there, and, and you know, it's, it's just uh, Jim Burnett, and it, it's just wonderful to be amongst these, um, these greats. And I just have to say, for my closing statement, when you ask about Bob and his great achievements, I say is that Bob has maintained his gentleman Bob um, personality and his skills, and to this very day, if someone has a breakdown, whether if it's a snowmobile or if it is something else, Bob is always there to stop and help. And um, people call a lot for asking about tuning and about different, you know, historical sleds and how, how can I fix my sled I'm restoring. And um, Bob takes the time and, you know, winter months are full of great conversations on the telephone with, you know, a fan or some other race friend that he has uh, maintained contact with. So it's a wonderful thing, and I, I guess that's all I'm, I'm going to say is that it, I, I'm, I'm glad that Gentleman Bob has been in my life since 1970 when I first met him, and um, he's just as wonderful today as he was the first day I met him. That's great. All right. Uh, now, uh, Bob, do you, do you get out to uh, many any races nowadays? Uh, could, could you repeat that, please? Do you, do you, do you get out to any races uh, at all uh, these days? Like in the past, like uh, any like we Eagle didn't get to a race last winter, did we? No, no, we didn't. We didn't make it to a race this past winter. Yeah, yeah. We were at Eagle River at the at the fiftieth. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And um, you know, we try to try to get up to Beaujeur as much as we can. And you know, there's uh, you know the smaller race circuit that's um, <clears throat> you know within a hundred miles. We'll try to make it to yeah. the time as not as often as it should be. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. Mentioning, hey. uh, both, mentioning Bozizer, are, are you aware that we used to have a, a, a factory in Bozizer, Polaris factory? Yeah, my dad uh, used to work uh, at that factory, Bob. He did, huh? Yeah, my dad worked, uh, worked in Bozizer from 69 uh, till when they shut it down, and uh, he reported to Jerry Thomas. Yes. That's how I got involved with snowmobiling. So uh, my dad was the uh, Western Canada sales rep back in those. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, yeah, we, he, we we raced out of the uh, Polaris team with a guy by the name of Al Benarchuk. Do you remember him? Yes, I do. Okay, so Al Benarchuk and uh, Jerry Mulby and uh, Peter Nakins, all those guys that were uh, out of Bozager, they, they were like a like they were like a farm team for the big pro team in Roseau. They love beating you guys every once in a while, you know. Oh, that's one of the greatest race race places to go to to this very day for us. So that's where, uh, you know, back when I, I mean, in those days, seventy one, seventy two, I uh, I raced at uh, Bozager, you know, against Andy Baker, and his dad was Clarence Baker. So you'll you'll yeah. know all those names. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's where my connection is, and uh, and uh, getting involved with uh, with uh, snowmobiles. Mm-hmm. So I've still got my old '72 ATX. We drove down from Beausager and uh, picked it up at the Polaris factory in uh, in October of '71, and uh, and we raced that sled for two years, and I've still got it here. I'll restore it. Oh, nice. Oh, good, good, good. So uh, yeah, that was. Uh, so I was actually talking with Alvin Archuk a few weeks ago. I'm going to do a, a story with him, and uh, he said to say uh, hello to you. Mm. So right. he was quite the engine guy back in the day. Okay, yeah. Also was a guy in Roseau that was a big engine guy, you know. I think it's Jerry Shank. Yes. Yeah. So Jerry was, uh, I guess, must have been heavily involved with, uh, with, with you on the race side, too, was he? Uh, <clears throat> maybe not so much. Okay, but uh, but Jerry, Jerry Shank was uh, one that he he could uh, he could try to improve uh, every engine. Yeah, yeah, he's quite a knowledgeable uh, fellow. So do you yeah. still snowmobile today, Bob? Do you do you do you get out of bed, or do you just have your old Ranger there that you kind of? I got my <clears throat> my Rangers in the garage here. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't drive it. I just, I just. Uh, he just looks at it. I, I look okay. at it and I and I save it. Okay, and, I, and I, I remember the the parts uh, that I that I welded on there when I first came to Polaris in 1960. Oh, so have you have you got a newer Polaris that you ride like out on your property and that a bit in the winter or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, and what do you ride today? What have you got for a sled? Uh, six six hundred switchbacks. Six hundred switchbacks. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, you know, we we have kind of like a, a whole barrage of different you know years. We have you know from the early 90s, you know, and we've got the current the current sleds, and then we've got kind of like in between the the, the early 90s and the the you know middle to late um, 2000s. So. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And and we're always looking. That's the great thing. We're always looking. Or different sleds. I, I enjoy the old, the old, a lot of the older snowmobiles. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think about when we, when we, when we built them, you know, and and what part maybe I was that made it and so forth. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the newer Polaris models now, like the Rush and the, and that style? Uh, one one thing I think about is I I don't get I don't get over to. Uh, to Polaris to to see see the newest stuff. Okay. Uh, like I probably uh, wish I did get over there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should put a I think we should put a call out to uh, Polaris and uh, and get them uh, get them to uh, send you over a new uh, Rush Axis or something like that so you can uh, do some comparison. So uh, Polaris, if you're listening, uh, Bob Eastman needs to uh, upgrade his uh, snowmobile. <laughs> Make it times two because I yeah, love times snow. two. Times two, Polaris uh, uh, for uh, for Carolyn too. Yeah, with a new yeah. suit. Yeah, mm. with a new suit too. New uh, new colorful oh, suit. Oh, yeah, fashionable. <laughs> it has to be the fashion statement. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I, I'm I'm pretty sure Marlis will listen to this, so we'll we'll, we'll get. Oh her yeah. Out. Well, you know the thing is, is that if you really saw me, I'm a real I'm, I'm a car heart girl. So. Oh really. <laughs> Okay, well, the fashion trend, the fashion trend in the 70s, set me 
set me to go uh, more simplified. Yeah. Um, Carolyn, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind talking to you for, for a minute here about the ATV uh, development uh, since you were involved. Oh, sure. Now, without going into uh, proprietary information, but uh, um, when, when Polaris decided to get, get into the ATVs, um, um, because what, what, there, really there was no other really ATV you know, mm-hmm. industry going on that much. So, what do you think drove drove that? With did, did uh, Polaris was just looking into different uh, you know projects oh, to get into? No. Um, when when they got into the three wheelers, I was still working at at this machine shop, and um, it was right next door to Polaris, and their test track was in back, and they would also come in and buy different parts and also some small implements, and they would do some, you know, of course, um, we could see that they were doing different testing, and it was for a lot of agricultural uses at at the time. I mean, you know, it was getting into the, the small little ag sector where people need needed to drive and, and use um, an implement that they could just put behind an ATV. Well, they weren't, they um, weren't really thinking recreational that uh, for ATVs. They were they were looking at uh, you know uh, industrial use and, uh, and farming use then. Well, I, I think I think it was a little bit of it was a crossover. It was a nice crossover because you know if you could dump off uh, a sprayer that was bolted to the ATV, then you could go out on the trails. And you know at that time the trails were just starting to begin. You know up here where they had had trails where. People would go, um, I don't know if it was more mo- motorcycling or it was it, horseback riding or whatever. Um, they basically, you know, got into these four-wheelers and, you know, they expanded, you know, from the three-wheeler to the four-wheeler and then, you know, going up to, you know, from chain to shaft and then to, you know, the six-by-six and then over to the Ranger. So it's been a wonderful evolution to see how things have gone, air cooled to liquid cooled. Yeah. Well, they were, uh, they they began their began their life as a, as a CVT clutch uh, ATV, yeah. and, and they were the first to do that, and um, and uh, um, that kind of opened some eyes. And, and now, of course, you see CVTs on on everything. Yes, yes, yes. There was a lot of a lot of envy, I think. There's a lot of envy from other um, companies. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got any more questions? No, I'm just about uh, out of questions. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, some pictures here, Bob, and, and one picture that really jumps out at me is uh, after the '74 uh, Eagle River World Championship, Bob, Joe uh, Villeneuve won that race. And yes. A great picture of you. Uh, I think you must have jumped off your sled, and you were the very first guy to go over and, and uh, congratulate him. Uh, Shake his hand on the uh, on the win, which was a real uh, you know kind of sums up your whole racing career. You know, uh, a, you know, real hard competitor, but uh, happy to see uh, somebody else win. And uh, it's just you can see Joe Villeneuve looking up at you, like because I'm sure uh, back in those days you were probably one of his idols. And to beat one of the you know I call you Mr. Polaris to beat the, the top dog with Polaris. Um, must have been a real big thrill for him. He's got his wife on the back, and and uh, and uh, you're the first guy there to uh, to shake his hand and congratulate him. So uh, yeah. I, I think that just kind of sums up, you know, you as a, as a person and uh, and as a racer. It's just uh, it's just a 
really nice uh, photo. And hopefully you've got a, you've got that picture. Oh, I'm sure yeah. that I did. I think Carolyn sent Thanks. it to me. It was on the cover of uh, of uh, yeah. Eagle River yeah. uh, uh, brochure or something or program. We have a three by four poster. Oh, so you know um, the one I'm talking about then. So. Yes, yes, and uh, we have that at our other home out in the country. Okay. And that's um, that's the opener that we always use when people say, "What what what you doing that for?" <laughs> and that's what I, I I start out by saying, "This is this is what Bob is. He's he's a pure gentleman, you know, great sportsman, ship skills, um." You know, I mean, that, that picture kind of just says, like you say, it wraps it up, it says it all. Absolutely. Know? And, you know, and when you think what Joe Villeneuve went on to, to doing, you know, racing for Ferrari, and, I mean, he's yeah. one of the most uh, respected uh, Formula One drivers, you know, of all time. So, um, but to have Bob Eastman come up, and uh, <laughs> I think Bob got a second in that race, but... Uh, right. But that's pretty cool. I actually seen Bob race Joe in '73 at Beausjour, and I think Bob took second in the Canadian Championship. That's when Joe came out of nowhere with his school bus and all these alouettes, him and Jacques, and I think they pretty well beat up on everybody that weekend. Yeah, I think I seen you the following year at uh, the Corsa Cup, uh, Bob, at uh, on uh, in Peterborough, Ontario, and uh, that's when I first seen you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> you in the big game. All right. So, okay. so, so you think when, it's a wrap, Gord? Yeah, I, I think this has been an awesome oh. conversation. And uh, Carolyn, I, want, I really want to thank you uh, for for coming on too. Uh, it was it was great talking to you. I, you know, so it was uh, it was nice that you have some great recollections yourself. Oh, I have fabulous. I mean, you know, it, our our town is rich. We, we we are enriched because of Polaris, and every one of us, whether or not if they have worked at Polaris or not. We have to feel so blessed to have a community that has um, inspired and aspired a lot of people and has given a lot of people a lot of opportunity. I, um, I'm very grateful for it, and my family is, and um, it's just really fun to see the new things that, that they're constantly producing and uh, how they're growing. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. And then my, my question that I have to do a reversal on is I have to ask you what kind of sleds do you guys ride? Well, we kind of we're we're kind of uh, blessed. We get to we get to ride all the snowmobiles. Um, oh. For uh, for Snowgore Canada and and, and Snowmobile Television, so uh, we uh, we get to uh, to ride them all. But uh, I, I spent my racing career on on a Yamaha, uh, stock oh. stock stock racing. And, mm -hmm. um And uh, Hal, he's uh, he uh, he also gets to ride all the all the snowmobiles. Uh, but I think uh, Hal's heart is. Uh, uh, with with the Polaris brand, uh, his family. Well, that's really nice roots. to hear. I mean, yeah. you, with you gentlemen being, you know, Canadian, you know, we 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 know the sensitivity level of the yeah. the black and yellow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and but I I just was wondering if you had any favorite things sitting out in your you know garage, getting ready for it to be out in in the yard, ready to start up and go. Well, well I could uh, use Bob because I've got a '71. Uh, 649 TX 2 plus 1 racer in my garage. That uh, right. it's, got, it's got no spark. No spark. No spark. Okay, so, well here's your here's your opportunity, Bob. To uh, I'm do trying a to find uh, I'm trying to get a, an ignition like a stator for it. Oh. 
And I also sure. need the uh, the master cylinder for the uh, for the that was the first year of the hydraulic cable operated hydraulic disc brake. So I've got one of those, and it's absolutely mint the sled. It uh, my uncle was uh, with a Polaris dealer in Fort Francis, Ontario, mm-hmm. and uh, he had sold this sled to a fellow up on the Indian Reserve, uh, brand new, and he used to take it out maybe once or twice a year just to kind of go and you know tear across the lake and. And uh, you know, scare the scare the crap out of himself, and then he park it. And uh, I always had my eye on that sled. And a few years ago, I got a call from his son. His dad had passed away, and and uh, they said, "Do you want that sled? You, do you remember it?" And I was like, "Yeah, do I want that sled?" So I've got it here. It's all restored. I just I've just got the clutches all redone. I've just got to get the uh, the motor fired up, get some spark in it. So I've got that one. And I've got, like I said, my 72 ATX that I, I've had since it was brand new. I've seen it built on the assembly line. And uh, and then I picked up, uh, I've got a 96 440 XCR. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That'd be a good one. Well, you're, you, you got, you've got things to maintain. <laughs> but uh, the rest of the time, uh, yeah, like Gord was saying, we get to ride, uh, we, we, we're lucky we get to ride all the, uh, the different brands and... Uh, and uh, and uh, compare them. You know, they're all they're all really good today. There's not there's nothing bad out there anymore. There. No. Yeah. And no. Everyone's got their their features, and uh, yep. It's, it's just nice to see uh, you know the sport of snowmobiling uh, uh, start to come back again because it's gone through a couple of tough years with the with the, the low winters and that. So you have to be really hardcore to to want to stay in it because it's not cheap anymore. It's an expensive sport to to get into. And, uh, right. So there's a lot of demands today for your time, different things to do, and not like when we were kids, where, you know, I mean, snowmobiles were like the Xboxes today, right? You know, it was like yep. holy smokes, everybody had one. But, it, was, uh, it was, it was either, um, you know, ice skating, or snowmobiling, or, right. you know, I mean, eventually they got to be out, outdoor cross country skiing. Up, up in this area, but um, you know, snowmobiling is just. Uh, I think everybody that has had the opportunity, from being a child up to their adulthood, always has that yearning. If they don't have one, they want one. Right. So it's it, it, it's a good it's a good thing, and uh, I just really, really wish for this winter to everybody that's listening out there to be safe and to be sound, and. Um, be careful, and if you can, um, pass on my greetings to Jacques and his beautiful wife. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we did an interview with uh, Jacques uh, uh, just, oh, just uh, about three weeks ago. Was Jacques Nello Senior, and he's he's feeling well. I, I guess he heard he had a, a yes. health, health problem, but he's 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 feeling really well. So that's that, that's good. So. Well, we've been praying for him, and you know, we just uh, this is this is good news to hear. I'm, I'm sure you have not heard the the last of uh, of Jacques. He, I think he I think he's even uh, uh, really considering coming back again and, and, and doing doing a few more races. <laughs> if I sound well, right. <laughs> <laughs> no Jacques. He, he's got nine lives. Yeah, he's like, no, he's there's like there's one no of quit. my cats. There's no quit yep. in that guy. So you bet, you bet. <clears throat> well. I think that's about it. Uh, I guess we can we can wrap it up. But uh, you know, Bob, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us. It's great uh, going back and, and listening to your to your uh, stories on on your career. 
and uh, your involvement with Polaris and, and Carolyn, you too. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, um, that was a that was a nice surprise. And uh, Hal, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, for coming on and uh, with uh, talking with uh, Bob and uh, Carolyn and myself. And uh, I think this is going this is going to be a golden interview. I think uh, I think our fans are really going to like to hear this one. Well, I. I know that after we hang up, Bob will um, be revved up for another interview. Yeah. So, you know, please call back because uh, I know that he'll have a lot of things. And he does have something to say, I, I can tell. Okay. Okay, okay Bob. Yeah. Uh, could, could, you tell, could you tell us a, a little bit more about Jill? Well, Jill's accident, Jill is gone. Uh, Jill has gone from a car accident, was it? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Jill, what what's Jill uh, or what's Jock Junior doing? Jill's boy. Oh, oh Jill's boy. I, I'm not sure what uh, what he's doing. Um, I, I think he he uh, occasionally gets out and and does uh, auto racing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, Jill's son uh, this year uh, uh, qualified for the uh, Indy 500 again. Yeah. Oh, he did. Oh, right. Oh. So he got a uh, he got a like a like a like a, I think like a one race uh, one race ride and uh, he qualified. I think he finished the race, you yeah. know. But um, mm -hmm. uh, no. of course he he became the, the Formula One world champion. Uh, Twice. Uh, mm -hmm. son, right back in the nineties. Uh, so well, we we try to follow that, you know, what's going on in the Villeneuve uh, family and who's racing and, you know, if there's other children that are coming up um, to race, uh, if, if um, Jack Jr. or Jack, Jacko, as they call him, is, this, is yeah. that the right yeah. um, name? <laughs> um, you know, I, I try to read on the Internet to see, you know, what's, what's happening because, you know, they, they quite are um, the, the, the family that, you know, they, they have a museum and they... they you know, they have a, a, a high standard, and, you know, we, we greatly respect that family. And yeah. um, we, we just re really think a lot of, of the Villeneuve family and Yvonne and Duhamel. And yeah, Yvonne really is, nice a, Yvonne is a, a name that I, wa I want to get on the, on the show next. I talked to him uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I've put the bug in his ear, and uh, he's, he's keen to... Uh, to uh, oh. To, to be interviewed, uh, but he wants us to come out and uh, and, just, and, uh, and actually uh, do it in person and, and see his uh, mm -hmm. see his uh, his collection of snowmobiles and motorcycles too. So, oh my goodness! So, but Carolyn, I, I'd, I'd, uh, you might want to. Um, um, we'll send you a link for the uh, for the show, and um, you can yes, uh, you can you can listen to the interview we did with Jacques Villeneuve Senior, Jocko, and um, he talks about the early years too. Um, in the, the, the ah. 60s, 70s, and, and, and 80s, and, and to present. So uh, we'll send you the link for that show, and uh, um, and you can listen to that. And uh, I think you'll be uh, it, it's it's quite he's quite uh, quite good interview. And he talks uh, right off the bat. He talks about his uh, his uh, battle with uh, with cancer, which he's uh, gone through his uh, his uh, his uh, chemo and stuff like that. And he's 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 well into the, well into recovery, and uh, he's feeling really good. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'd encourage you oh. to listen to that. So. This is absolutely great to hear, and I look forward to Yvonne and all the other um, greats of, yeah. of racing, yeah, some of sure. the race. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that uh, lives, it, lives in our heart. Yeah, <laughs> that's great, yeah. Me too, me too. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm much younger, but uh, I, I, I love, uh, I love uh, listening to the stories from the, uh, from the past. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, a, a lot of the new snowmobilers, 
might add, a lot of the new snowmobilers, the people racing nowadays, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s. They have no idea what went on uh, in the in the 60s and 70s, and that's why I'm doing the show is just to uh, to get these stories out there because it's 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 so important. And the and the the racing back then was was spectacular. I mean, the crowds and uh, and, and oh. that went on, you know, the huge crowds. Huge, huge, like I say, huge crowds, and it was a fashion statement for women. I yeah. mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, seeing the fur coats and seeing seeing these um, glamour. I don't know where who whose wives or whose girlfriends these glamour women were, but you know it was it was quite a you know from a perspective as a young lady you know a young woman growing up you know you, you get this illusion and like I say I I, I it, it, it was um, it's one of those formative things that puts that you cannot forget about seeing. Beautiful women in fur coats, and then seeing you know guys walking around, you know, in their snow gear and their their bibs and ready to to race, and you can feel you could feel their energy, you know, their adrenaline, just ready to hit that throttle and go. Yeah, and, I called um, this in my uh, intro, Carolyn. I called it Hollywood comes to the Northwoods, like back in those days. If you, you had know, to make when, a uh, I love it. <laughs> if you had to make a comparison. If you had to make a comparison these days, I guess you could say it was just like the Kentucky Derby, you know, because you know, that's a fashion statement too. Um, so yeah. it, it's it's much like that in, the, in in those years where everybody was uh, strutting their new suits and their fur coats and oh. sunglasses and stuff. And, <laughs> uh, and 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 you know when Polaris went into Snow Pro and they had the beautiful <clears throat> red, white, and blue um, snowmobile suits that said Polaris Professional Race Team, they didn't get new suits every year. And the other teams, you know, I'd watch and observe that. These other guys would be wearing, you know, faded out or, you know, creased and damaged um, leathers from years before. And they just, you know, zip up and gear up and go. And these other guys, you know, they had to break in their new leathers. And, you know, sometimes when you have, when you're out motorcycling and you got a new leather jacket, it's a little bit stiff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I uh, I think it's 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 it, this has just been so much fun talking, and I did not mean to intrude on no, a conversation. No, absolutely. This, this has been great. I I, I love it, and, and and these little conversations are they're they're the best part of uh, of uh, doing the show is uh, just getting the little stories, and you, know, you could probably go on and on and on, you know, for hours, you know. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm looking at oh. this picture of uh, Bob here, and I remember years ago uh, going to Polaris. Uh, when you went into the uh, the front entrance, they would have all the trophies on display. And there was that one great big trophy, Bob. I guess you must still have it in your house somewhere. It's got to be eight feet tall. Well, Remember that amazing. one? Where, where, what race you you won that? <clears throat> that was uh, the Rhinelander Hodeg. Uh, I won that four times. That's the one. The trophy. The trophy is humongous. It's like I mean, because you were like, how tall were you? Six over six feet tall, right? Yeah, yeah a little, little over six feet. Oh, and this uh, trophy's got to be two, three feet taller than you, and you're you're holding it. You know? Yeah, it's it's at the Roseau Experience Center. Oh, it's at the Experience Center? Okay. Yep. Yeah, and and the unfortunate thing, it's not on the ground. They they put it up on right above the X2. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, it 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 looks like a mile <clears throat> high, but it's yeah. it uh, that's where it's at. The X2 is a is a is an old uh, t- twin engine speed machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so anyway, um, what okay. a what a pleasure. Yeah, what well, a pleasure to speak with you, gentlemen. And like I say, if if you want to do another interview again, I'm sure that Bob 
will be all geared up after <laughs> knowing how, how what kind of conversations we have. Yeah, yeah. And um, the the old crew that gets together on occasion. Unfortunately, lately it's been for funerals. But when when we have old, um, if there's a a vintage uh, snowmobile show or to invite um, the guys, oh, like when um, Larry Preston came out with his book, Starfire Kids. Yeah. That was a fabulous picture um, that, that I was able to take of the whole group. And, um, you know, I, over the years I've taken many, many, you know, I love to take pictures and do photography. And every time someone is, is Every time you take a snapshot, no matter where and what they're doing, they're smiling. You never get a bad picture. Yeah. And I hope that the other race teams can have that camaraderie, and I hope that they're, they can always be smiling because when they get together, it's all smiles and good memories. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very okay. much, all of you. And uh, so we'll get this uh, uplo uploaded, and uh, I think this is going to be a really great one. This is a, it's been a pleasure talking with all of you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you gentlemen today, and uh, I wish you a good day, and I wish everybody else. Okay, so I want to uh, thank uh, Bob Eastman and Carolyn, uh, his wife, uh, coming on and talking with us uh, today, and, and Hal. Hal, you're still on the line. Uh, so what do you think of that, Hal? Well, it was a, it was a real uh, treat today to talk to Bob. I mean, for me as a kid... Uh, Growing up in uh, Manitoba, he was uh, he was like a boyhood uh, hero. He was my uh, he was like it was like talking to Gordy Howe or Bobby uh, Bobby Hull or Bobby Orr, and um, uh, lots of great stuff uh, uh, from Bob. Uh, you know, didn't realize he started with Polaris uh, that early in the '60s. Uh, I mean, he's he he's seen it all, and uh, and uh, so for the folks out there to uh, just take the time, it's a, it's a long interview. Um, probably can't do it all in one sitting, but uh, take the time and uh, and uh, listen to uh, Bob and uh, his wife Carolyn, who's uh, really been a great historian for his uh, racing career, and uh, listen to him chat about the uh, the, the old uh, the golden years of snowmobile racing in the uh, in the 70s, and um, really from one of the true pioneers and legends of the sport that were. Uh, 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 able to uh, chat with today yeah. and uh and to also to uh you know to hear bob talk about some of his uh competitors and his uh, idol his idol Gilles villeneuve and, uh, and yeah Gilles jacques. villeneuve and jacques villeneuve it was a real uh surprise to hear uh you know bob eastman uh um speak so highly of uh of both of those uh, fellows and uh they seem to uh um have kept in touch over the years also with his wife so uh yeah, a lot of fun doing uh, doing the Eastman interview, and uh, and look forward, Gord, to doing uh, doing some more with uh, you know these uh, racing legends. Yeah, and, we'll get uh, legends on. Uh, they're really the uh, the guys that uh, that came out with a lot of the innovations that we enjoy uh, on today's sled. So yeah, my look dad forward to it. My dad, that uh, uh, Bobby, he spent his whole career at Polaris too. Uh, you know, he's no other brands. He was uh, involved with Polaris only. So uh, yeah, true, uh, a true a career. Of, uh, you know, not a lot of people get to work at one industry. You know, for forty plus years anymore. And Bob is uh, is one of those. I mean, he's he also has a farm that he ran. So uh, you know, he was doing like triple duty here. He was racing. He was uh, you know uh, started off. Uh, 
uh, doing welding and then became a, a welding instructor out in the factory floor and then race team manager. And uh, so he's wore a lot of hats at Polaris. And, uh, and yeah, over 40 years uh, with them. I mean, man, he's he seen them grow from, what was he said, he was employee number 28? I mean, Polaris employs thousands of people now, uh, people ar- around the world. I mean, so this is uh, this is a guy from uh, from day one, and uh, it was a lot of fun talking to him. That was great, yeah. So, uh, okay, so this is uh, Gord Van, and uh, co-hosting with me today is uh, Hal Armstrong. Uh, uh, Hal Armstrong also does uh, articles on uh, t- called Time Machines of Snowblower Canada and Snowblower Television. So. This is Gorda Van, Snowmobiling Podcast. You can uh, check out this, this uh, show and others on the Snowmobiling Podcast Facebook page. On iTunes, you, you can subscribe. Um, and, uh, all the uh, past episodes are on there. And also you can, um, you can contact me at uh, snowmobilingpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, Hal, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye.